We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, as this is a weekend edition of the Sox Machine Podcast as we are recording on Saturday, May 8th. 2021 and on this episode we'll be talking about the Chicago White Sox farm system as minor league baseball kicked off this week also the 2021 major league baseball draft as usually the draft would be a month away but instead it's taking place during the all-star break this season in mid-July with a 22nd pick who could be available for the White Sox? And joining me to help answer those questions, and we'll answer some of your guys' questions as well that you sent me, is one of our best friends of the show from MLB.com. It's senior writer Jim Callis. And hello, Jim. Thanks for coming back on the Sox Machine podcast. Uh, glad to be here, Josh. Hope you're, hope you're doing well. I am doing well, and uh, I, I got to share a story with you uh, to start off this episode. So Jim Margulis, uh, he was in Birmingham this week to catch the Barons opening series. And he uh, witnessed something in person, as he's reporting for Sox Machine down there, uh, that I don't think any baseball fan should ever witness. He saw the Barons walk 13 batters in a single inning. 
Uh, Alec Hansen, who we've discussed a lot about over the years, had a hand in that fiasco. Have you ever witnessed anything like 13 walks in an inning covering baseball? No, I, I don't even know what my, my record would be. But 13 would be, I think, far and away the most I would have ever seen. That, that, I, that, that sounds like a painful inning to watch. <laughs> it was 13 walks, uh, a hit by pitch, only one hit allowed. <laughs> and the guy that ended the inning, the first pitch that he threw uh, was a flyout. Uh, yeah, 87 pitches in that half inning, and uh, it almost it almost covered an entire hour uh, of time. What was that, like 11 or 12 run inning then? Yeah, it was 12 runs. They Yeah, the opposing team scored 12 runs, and uh, fans still watched it, so bless them. But I thought, I thought I'd ask you if you ever seen anything that crazy. And uh, I think that's a good place to start with the, the White Sox top 30. So if you go to MLB.com, slash pipeline listeners, uh, you'll see in the White Sox top 30 two names that you're very familiar with because they're on the current roster, and that's Andrew Vaughn and Garrett Crochet. But Jim, those two are, I have to assume, are going to be graduating soon from the prospect list. When that happens, who's going to be the new number one? Well, it will be Jared Kelly because at this point, we're, we're not the point where we make adjustments to the current order. We just move guys on and off, uh, on and off the list, you know, as they graduate or get traded or acquired in trade or whatever. So, so once Vaughn and Crochet graduate, which will be any day, I, I do know off the top of my head, I do know Andrew Vaughn graduates on May 16th because that's the day for everybody who opened the season in the big leagues. Um, and Garrett Crochet graduates on the 15th because of the service time he had last year, um, We'll, we'll put him over there. And then your mean Mercedes will graduate on the 14th. So mm-hmm. um, as we record this on May 8th, uh, nine days from now, there will be three new additions to the White Sox top 30. And at that point, Jared Kelly will be the number one ranked prospect in the system, followed by Yoelke Suspedes, Matthew Thompson, Jonathan Stever, and Andrew Dahlquist. Yeah, that's uh, that's not as exciting uh, top five as we've seen over the last few years. Obviously, different circumstances, right? The White Sox are trying to win now. We're they're in first place as we are recording this at seventeen and thirteen, uh, and instead of rebuilding, where you're trying to stash as many prospects as possible. You mentioned Yerma Mercedes. Are you surprised by the start that Mercedes is having for the White Sox? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you have to be. Um, <laughs> uh, I forget where he ranked. I mean, our, our system we've already had, you know, Madrigal's graduated, Kopech just graduated. I think I'm forgetting about somebody else who graduated. But he's, he's at 19 on our, our list right now and started the year 22. I mean, we knew he could hit to some degree. I mean, that, that was what was keeping him in pro ball because, I mean, he's kind of a – all bat guy. So, like, if he couldn't hit, you mean Mercedes wouldn't be playing? He wouldn't still be, you know, you know, playing professional baseball at age 28. Did I think he was going to get eight hits in his first eight at bats and and have a thousand ops a month into the season? No, I did not. That that that, uh, that I did not see coming. Um, you know, it, it's hard to say what you expected of him from a power standpoint. I don't know about you, Josh, but I mean. You know, he's a guy, you know, he he was catching, so it wasn't like he was playing 140-game minor league seasons. But his, you know, going into 2019, his career high for homers was 16. No, no I take that back. He had longer. His career high for homers was 20, which he did as a 23-year-old in high class A, and a lot of that in low A, which is which is very old for the league. And then he hit 23 in 2019, 
you know, 17 homers in AAA in 53 games, but the ball was jacked up. It, it was, you know, like I, I've used the analogy of a rock with seams painted on it for the, the AAA Major League ball in 2019. Yeah. So I don't know what we really, uh, you know, yeah, you, his power projection was difficult to kind of figure out. You know, like you knew he could hit. You know, I, we, we, you know, we had kind of. Uh, if I would have had to guess, I would have thought if he got regular bats, he'd be a 15 home run guy, and, and so far he's been a lot better than that. With the White Sox having their top two prospects graduating soon, and as you mentioned, who who's going to be in the top five? You know, not every top ten or even top five is equal in the major leagues. I think for fans, when they're drawing up as far as trade scenarios, oh, this guy is their third ranked prospect. There's no way this guy's touchable. Uh, <laughs> I, that won't be the case for the Chicago White Sox. Maybe Jared Kelly won't be touchable uh, because the White Sox want to see what they got in him uh, in their, you know, the first year that he could actually pitch after he was drafted last season. But when I'm looking at the White Sox farm system with minor league baseball kicking off uh, finally this week, Jim, I feel like there is a desert in AAA and AA for the Chicago White Sox when it comes to interesting prospects. Gavin Sheets is starting off well. Maybe he could be of interest uh, to the White Sox if Adam Eaton get, got hurt. Uh, there's Blake Rutherford still, uh, but watching the Birmingham Barons this week, I there's not a lot of interesting guys as far as in their roster. Do you have that same sense that, yeah, the White Sox are lacking right now as far as an intrigue at the AAA and AA level? Um. I wouldn't say they lack intrigue because they have a bunch of guys who I think are impossible to figure out. Um, so okay. I might not use the word intrigue. I might say impact prospects. Yeah, I mean, the AAA team, I do like Jonathan Stever. I've, I've always been kind of high on Jonathan Stever. I think there's something, you know, I think there's a potential starter there, um, you know, big league starter. But, but you have that Blake Rutherford, Gavin Sheets, Luis Gonzalez group that's kind of stagnated and leveled off. In the middle minors that you know the White Sox still have hopes for, but to me, they're more kind of role players. To be honest, um, you know you've got you know Jake Berger who, who I remain fascinated with, who, who's only played one game for Charlotte so far, but you know he's you know hopefully healthy and can play a full season this year. You've got you know the the oft injured Zach Birdie who, who still has good stuff when he's healthy, but he just hasn't been healthy enough. And you've got Jimmy Lambert who I think is going to be one of those kind of up down swingman types. So they've got guys there, but you know, all in all, I mean, this is kind of an interesting year for the system. I I, I think, like you, like you hit the nail on the head, Josh. Like I, you know, I'm sure as a White Sox fan, if you had your choice between okay, we can have one of the top ranked farm systems in baseball, and the big league clubs are rebuilding, and we have hope for the future, or we can have a legitimate World Series contender, especially now that Carlos Rodon has taken a step forward. But all our guys will, you know, our top guys will graduate out of the system, and it's going to rank toward the bottom of the minor league rankings. I, I know which one White Sox fans would take, right? And yep. and, I, and I do think that the key for them, you know, that they have so much invested in the three high school pitchers that they've paid a bunch of money in the last two drafts with with Kelly and Thompson and Dahlquist, and then the two Cubans that they signed this year in Suspetus and Vera. And I really think, you know, it, it's going to be important for the system for those guys. You know, not necessarily all five of them are going to have good years, but they need those guys to be as good as they they, they think they are, you know, the investment they put into them. Because if they're not, then the system's going to be really, really thin. And that said, I don't think there's any reason to suspect they won't be good. But, but those guys, I think a lot's riding on those guys this year. 
Which of the top 30 prospects interest you the most? Of the top three or the top three pitching prospects? Well, I was going to say, out of all the top 30, is there anybody else that interests you? Oh, top 30, top 30. Um, Well, I I was going to say at the top, at the top, I'm very curious to see what Yoelki Suspedes is because you get a lot of different opinions Mm -hmm. on him from scouts. Look, I mean, the White Sox obviously like him a lot, and he's got bat speed and strength and He's probably a plus, plus runner in straight line speed and more of a solid guy and a chance to play center and a big time arm. But there's also scouts who think his swing gets long and uphill and he's really aggressive at the plate and and they kind of question the bat. So I, I really want to see what exactly he's going to be. And I, and I think we'll get to see that, that pretty soon. And, you know, in terms of... You know, the kind of the, the second group of guys who I think are kind of key. I, I think it's their 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 super young international guys who have all played in the DSL, but had not made their full season debuts before this year when they're all in Canapolis. And that would be Brian Ramos, the third baseman, Benjamin Bailey, the outfielder, and Jose Rodriguez, the middle infielder. Um, I, I think those are those are guys who I kind of have in the middle of the list right now. But if they perform well. I mean, it, it's crazy, Josh, because, I mean, <laughs> those three guys are all 19. Blake Rutherford's 24. Gavin Sheets is 25. Luis Gonzalez is 25. Zach Birdie's 26. Jake Berger's 25. I mean, that's a huge, huge gap in age. Mike Rodolfo's 24. So if those guys perform and the older guys, you know, kind of just mosey along like they have been the last couple of years, I think you could see Ramos and Bailey and Rodriguez jump into the top ten. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of White Sox fans that are they they have intrigue in Jose Rodriguez and they're hoping that Jose Rodriguez is a thing, whether that he helps out and backs up Tim Anderson in the future, or he's such a thing that other teams would want Jose Rodriguez in a possible trade because again the White Sox may be looking at their prospect list in a different manner this season because with Luis Robert out for 12 to 16 weeks and Aloy Jimenez maybe out for the entire season. The White Sox have a need to get another impact outfielder. Is there somebody in this farm system that would be of interest from other teams? And this is a good question that we got from one of our Patreon supporters, Andrew Siegel. And Andrew asked us, suppose you are a rival GM with a decent center fielder who will be a free agent at the end of the season, or you're a team that has a player like Chris Bryant, who are you asking for out of the White Sox system right now? I'm asking for those pitchers. And, again, I don't know if they're going to trade them. Um, but you could also make the argument that, I mean, the White Sox, I mean, you, you look, they, they traded Dane Dunning and Avery Weems to get Lance Lynn. And, like, you know, Lance Lynn's not a, a guy who's going to be here. For, you know, I mean, I guess he could. They could resign him. But, you know, Lance Lynn's got one year left on his contract. So it's not like, you know, they, they, they traded, you know, basically six years of control of Dane Dunning and an interesting lefty in Weems for one year of Lance Lynn, you know, who's, you know, made four very good starts so far. Um, but no, I mean, if I, I mean, the thing is, it's, it's just funny. When I started in this business, I used to think that, uh, when team you know, back then, I think fantasy baseball was kind of looked down on uh, by by professional baseball. Even though it, it you know, we now know it, it's really driven a lot of interest in the game. But I always assumed, Josh, that like like if you were a GM and I was a GM, I'd call and I'd be very respectful, and and it wouldn't be like the fantasy league I was in where you're trying to rip me off. But now, um, I mean, I think teams ask for the moon at first. Like like when if if I'm calling to offer you. Well, let's not even say Chris Bryant. Let's just say like an average center fielder because that could help the club. Like I have an average level center fielder. 
I'm going to ask for Jared Kelly and Andrew Dahlquist and and Matthew Thompson and, and maybe Steve. Or, you know, I'm not saying I'm going to get all four, but I'm asking for your best guys because every once in a while, like we saw, I mean, this was years and years ago, but I still remember the shock when the Mets traded Victor traded Scott Casimir to get Victor Zambrano. Like sometimes the team will say yes, so if you don't ask, you know, they're not going to just give you the guy. So I, I you know, it, it's going to be tough though because I think to to get a difference maker you're going to have to give up something pretty good. And it would be interesting, like, as much as the White Sox like those three pitchers, if, if you could get a piece you really thought could put you over the top, you know, I'll draw a parallel to trading Glaber Torres for a role as Chapman, which I, I don't think people would make that kind of deal for a reliever anymore, but the Cubs don't win a World Series without it. The, the Cubs and Glaber Torres was pretty good, but they they liked what they had. They had a lot of infielders. I mean, in retrospect, you know, you could say, you know, maybe they should have held on to him. You know, who knew what was going to happen with Aston Russell? But they they made a trade that was painful, and they did it. And then the next year, you saw him give up Eloy Jimenez and Dylan Cease to get Jose Quintana because they were trying to keep that going. So I, I think when you get to where the White Sox are now, where you're you have a legitimate chance to win a championship. Uh, you know, I, I'm not saying that they will de- that they're looking to trade those guys, but if the right deal came along, I, th- I think they'd have to consider it. Yeah, I think this feeds into the next topic here with the Major League Baseball draft because this is my feeling regarding as far as Jared Kelly, Andrew Dahlquist, and Matthew Thompson that if Rick Hahn felt like he needed to trade one or two of those to get an impact player to help win a championship in 2021, I would even advise him to do that because in this upcoming draft, you have the opportunity for the Chicago White Sox to replace two of them, uh, within your first three rounds, if you wanted to. Uh, Yes, it would be better to have five interesting pitchers within your farm system. But with the upcoming draft in July, uh, that's during the All-Star break, and the trade deadline is still two weeks after the Major League Baseball draft, I wonder if that's going to influence some decision-making this year, Jim. Yeah, I think it could. Um, I mean, again, you'll have to see exactly what you know who's being offered and where the White Sox stand. But, but, but I was going to say the exact same thing. Like, like yes, in an ideal world, you'd love to have a World Series contender and as many prospects as you could. But as interesting as Kelly and Thompson and Dahlquist are, and they're interesting, a they're high school right-handed pitchers. You know, things go wrong with high school right-handed pitchers, even under the best of circumstances. Um, B you know, not every pitching prospect pans out. I, I would say if things, you know, go according to form with those three guys, one of them will be really good, one of them will be a decent big leaguer, and one of them will be a disappointment. That, that, that's probably what you'd set the over-under on. You're, you're not going to hit on all three. And then and then C, they've combined, I think at this point, Josh, as we talk, for 11 and two-thirds innings. So it's not like these guys have gone out and torn up a ball and they're already established as, hey, yeah, the, the, you know things are looking really good. You know these guys are moving along. Like like they're going to have barely more pro experience than the guys you're drafting. So so yes, I, I mean again, you wouldn't just give these guys away, but you're in it to win it. If you could make a if you could make a trade that would cost you a couple of your better young prospects, uh, I, I'm with you. You could use the draft to go ahead and replenish because all of the White Sox best young prospects. Uh, have barely played pro ball. The, the, those three pitchers, so Spedes hasn't played yet. Uh, Norhe Vera hasn't played yet, and Ramos, Bailey, and Rodriguez are all making their debuts, you know, in, in full season ball. I mean, right now between them, they have 46 at bats in full season ball. So it, it's not like you have this 
this core of prospects who've had success in high A and double A, and they're a year or so away. And, and you, you know, I mean, we're right now these guys, I describe them more as upside rather than certainty, if, if that makes sense. Nope, it does make sense. And you wrote a new mock draft uh, earlier this week, just a few days ago. And uh, as far as number one picks are concerned, everyone for a while has thought that the Vandy boys, Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker, would go one and two. And I'm glad that you went in a different direction for the Pittsburgh Pirates because I'm with you, Jim. I don't see Jack Leiter or Kumar Rocker going number one overall. And it's not because of talent. I think it has more to do where Pittsburgh currently lies as far as in their rebuild efforts and taking it. Well, see, I'm going to interrupt you. Sure. Like, and I've heard that from people in pro ball, too. I don't buy that logic at all. Okay. Because if you think Jack Leiter is the best player in the draft, like I know Pittsburgh's bad. Mm-hmm. You take Jack Leiter. Uh, like, if you think Kumar Rocker is the best player in the draft, you take Kumar. I, I don't buy this. Well, they're not good. They're not going to win for two or three years. Well, you, you at minimum, you're going to control those guys for six years. They're not going to go straight to the big leagues. So you're going to control them. You know, probably for for six major league seasons, they're not going to make the opening day roster in 2022. So you're going to control them through 2028, like like even one of those guys. So if you think they're the best guy, if you're saying, well, we're not going to be good by 2028, mm-hmm. then you ought to just fold the franchise. I mean, that's that's seven years from now. So I don't mean to – I've had people – I've actually had this argument that there are people you know, with teams who make that same argument. And, and, and so anyway, I'll just say the reason I put Jordan Lawler number one is, is – well, I, I guess I've interrupted you. I've hijacked your own question, Josh, and I'll let you ask your <laughs> no, question. No, no, it's okay. <laughs> but, but I was going to say from a talent standpoint, Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter are both very good. Yes. I'd also suggest – that they're really, really good, and just because of the age of social media and pitching ninja, and, and they're both famous because of, of you know, famous fathers, that they might even be a little overrated. They, they, they could be, you know, they're on the top tier talent in this draft, but I think the average fan thinks these guys are, you know, they're not Steven Strasburg. I, I made a point to somebody that, and this was not based on how he's doing on big leagues. They're like, like they're more on the line of what I think Carlos Rodon was. In his draft year, because as you remember, Carlos Rodon came into the year as he was supposed to be the guy, and he wound up going three of the White Sox. And I had somebody tell me, you know what, I'd take Carlos Rodon over both those guys because he was left-handed, um, and which I thought was interesting. Um, and it's so anyway, like those guys are both really good, but 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 Jordan Lawler and Marcelo Mayer, the two high school shortstops, are are just as good as those guys are. Leiter and, and Rocker have been inconsistent. You know, Rocker's velocity was down for a little bit; it, it's come back. But, you know, yesterday he, he only lasted five innings. Right. Um, you know, Leiter has given up eight home runs in the last three weeks. He, he's going to pitch the day we're recording this, we, so I don't know how he's going to do today. And, and those two high school shortstops are very good, and, and I'd even suggest that, that, that another high school shortstop, Brady House, and Louisville catcher Henry Davis are, are very close to being on that top tier and, and would be for some teams. So, anyway, I didn't mean to hijack your question, but it's funny because I have had teams suggest that to me like their competitive window, and, and, I, and I hate that argument because, again, like, like, I'm sorry, if you can't afford Jack Leiter when he's in arbitration in, let's say that's what, 2024 mm-hmm. offseason? And, and like, uh, okay, well then, I mean, what are you doing? Like, like, yeah, like you should be, you know, if he's if he's so good that he's getting, like, I don't even know what like a record first year arbitration amount would be. Like, what are we talking, ten million dollars? Like, 
Like, you can't afford that. And then, like, you're not going to, you know, the Pirates aren't going to be contending four years from now. Like, like I just don't buy that. I, I think you have to take the best player. And, and I've never heard, honestly, Josh, I've never heard this competitive window argument made ever for the number one pick. I, have you? Well, I mean, Mickey Modiak, did the Phillies really believe that he was the number one player? They did. They did, but like, wait, like, you look at how bad the the Tigers were. Where were people saying, "Oh, they shouldn't take Casey Mize or Spencer Torkelson because they're going to suck for a couple"? I mean, their system was better. But yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I, I've just never heard anybody. And, and yeah, I mean, the crazy thing was with Moniak is I don't think there was a great number one guy that mm-hmm. year. Um, and people thought Moniak was going to be a well above average hitter with plus speed and plus center field and and maybe average power. And, and it, it, it just people whiffed on that one. Um, but yeah, no, I mean that wasn't you know that wasn't the Phillies saying, "Oh, we're going to be bad for a while, so we got to take the high school kid." They just they just thought he was the best guy. We we did get this question. It was more directed as far as the White Sox they picked twenty two. But if there is a prep infielder and college pitcher of equal talent available, who would you draft? So so the the question is, there's a what kind of infielder? Uh, a prep infielder. So oh, I like a prep infielder. Yeah. So if 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 there's a team that feels like Jordan Lawler. And Jack Leiter to us are on the same talent level. Oh, I see. Not not for the White Sox, but at the top of the draft. Anywhere, yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, I mean, I think you have to take the best guy. I mean, like, I mean, I mean, like, if you think it's a dead heat, then maybe you look and see which guy might be a little cheaper to sign to give you some wiggle room in the bonus pool. But like, mm. I, I just think, you know, I just think in the first round of the draft. Especially with your top pick, you got to take who you think the best guy is. Like if you, you know, you see a lot of mistakes when teams draft for need. Um, uh, you know, like to me, you know, the perfect scenario, like if I'm picking at the very top, is is I'd like to get the guy I think is the best player, and if I can save some money by doing it, that that's a bonus. But if if I think Jack Le- like Jack Leiter is probably going to cost me more than Jordan Lawler. Um, or Marcella Mayer, or Kumar Rocker will probably cost me more. But if I thought those guys were the best player, I'd take them. And, and if I didn't, then it's a bonus. But, it, I mean, I, again, I, I, those guys are both very good, but I, I just think uh, it's not Pitching Ninja's fault, but I keep calling it the Pitching Ninja hype train. Uh, <laughs> everybody acts like it's like, like when I put out the mock, I got barraged on Twitter, I think from a lot of Pirates fans, no way, you know, no way, you know, you know, these guys aren't going one, two. Like, I can't believe the Pirates wouldn't take one of those guys. And it's like, Jordan Lawler might be a better player than them. Right. Um, you know, I, I mean, if, if I were. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Like, I'll put it this way. If I were drafting 
today, based on everything I know right now, I would take Jordan Lawler or Marcella Mayer over one of the Vanderbilt pitchers. That's why I was happy that you had Jordan Lawler, number one. He could be Carlos Correa. Yeah, he could. And just so people know, I mean, I know you know this. Like, even though when I did that mock draft, it's 10 weeks out from the draft. And, and like, like nobody's ever going to look back and say, oh, geez, Jim got three right on his May mock draft. <laughs> but I still – I still – I've never – and I'm not casting aspersions. I've never done the, hey, let's just play out a different scenario, or hey, I want to be the first one to put Jordan Lawler at number one in a mock draft. I mean, that's that, that mock draft was predicated solely on, to the best of my knowledge, if the draft were the day that came out, which I guess was Wednesday night. If the draft were Wednesday night, yep. this is how I think it would unfold. Not, hey, I want to you know be first or present you a different scenario to consider. I, you know, I wasn't doing that. I honestly think if the like most teams in baseball. Again, nobody's made a decision, you know, so it's not like the Pirates have it and, and, are, and are telling people. But the teams at the top think the Pirates are going to take one of the shortstops at number one. Jim Callis and I will continue talking about the 2021 Major League Baseball draft after a quick word from our sponsor. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Well, I had in my mock guessing... I had Henry Davis going to the to Detroit at pick number three, so that was my controversial. He he topic. could, although I think if they go like I, I actually think, and I and I didn't do this, but like just to play out this scenario even more, I, I think you could see Lawler go one. I think you could see. Hmm. I think you could see Marcelo Mayer or Brady House go three. I, I'm not sure what the Rangers do if Lawler goes one. Um, if they would go Jack Leiter, if they would go in a different direction. But, I mean, I think there's a very real chance that, that Leiter and or Rocker doesn't go in the top four picks. Yeah. I Yeah, I had Leiter going two, and I had Rocker going four to Boston. Yeah. That's how I had in my mock. So, But, again, we're, we're still a couple months away. Who'd you have at 22? So, I'm glad you brought this up because for your mock draft, you, had, you have Ryan Cusick, the right-hander from Wake Forest. And for our Patreon supporters – Every week I've been doing a Major League Baseball draft watch and I'm watching players and I'm watching what I can as far as the prep players on Twitter and on YouTube and I'm writing snippets about it. And at the very beginning, I have said, I feel like it's destiny that Ryan Cusick is going to be drafted by the White Sox at pick 22. He fits with what they're trying to do on a on the pitching front. He remi- He's like the right-handed version of Garrett Crochet. Uh, like I, I just have a, you know, I have a feeling about this and I'm trying to speak it into existence. I would like <laughs> the White Sox to go, to go prep with their first round pick. And in my mock, I had Isaac Pacheco, the shortstop that will be, I think eventually a third baseman go at 22 for the White Sox. Yeah. And as we both know, it's, it's so early that trying to figure out who's going to go 22 is an impossible task. It, it's interesting. Right. I hadn't realized you were saying that about Cusick. And in my mock, as you probably saw, you, you were probably initially elated, hey, we're, we're getting Cusick. But, but then I wrote that I felt like 22 was way too well, – it was not way too low, but too low. Like I, I, there's enough teams on him in the teams that that probably 
isn't going to happen. It's just the way when I was plotting it out, it, it came out. And when, you, when you're doing a mock, like, like you, you've done them too, Josh, you, you get guys who you're like, oh, this guy is probably not going to go this low. Like, but but you just you know you start you know putting it together and, and guys drop a little bit. Um, yeah, you know it, it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens at 22 because I think it's going to be pretty wide open. Um, so if you had your choice of a prep guy, like who who would be your your not necessarily who you think will be there, but like your like you said Pacheco and he's interesting because. Like, guys are in or out on him. Like, I have teams that are like, no, like, I wouldn't take him in the top 50. Wow. And other teams are like, oh, that guy's a first-round pick. Like, it's a great body. He's going to be a really good third baseman. You know, he struggled on the showcase circuit. He's been better this spring. You know, he was trying to do too much last summer. I mean, so was Brady House. Um, you know, he's 6'4", 225 already, left-handed bat. Um, but, like, I think you can – I know if you were doing a consensus draft where teams were voting, not that that's how they would draft, I don't think Pacheco would go as high as 22. But, like, who's your your pie in the sky? Like, I don't know if he gets to 22, but as a White Sox fan, I really hope he gets to 22. Well, my draft crush at the very beginning of this process was Henry Davis. But then he kept – Yeah, and you can't have him anymore. <laughs> yeah, he just – he kept hitting. And it's like, well, there he goes. He's going to the top ten, and now I think he might go top five. Uh, he might even go top four. Like, yeah. like, like, like I, I mean, I don't know specifically that they're on. But, like, like I could see a situation – like, again, I, Texas, I don't feel like I know as much if Lawler's gone. Because everybody thinks Lawler's the guy they want. But I, but I could see Pittsburgh going – Waller and Detroit going mayor and Boston, you know, going with if they took Henry Davis, it wouldn't shock me. Yeah. And then I was on the the Sam Bachman train because I thought his stuff was better than Q6. And uh, I've been told, nope, he's not making it to 22. Uh, so I, I keep. And I, I have these draft crushes, and they, they perform too well, and they, they're not going to be available for the White Sox. But I think you and I have t- talked about him in the past. Harry Ford, the prep catcher from Georgia, I don't know if he's going to stay at catcher, but every time I watch as far as his YouTube clips and what I see as far as on Twitter when people are posting video of his in-game action – uh, I just feel like that there's a lot to work with. And if you don't think he's a catcher, well, there's enough athleticism that you could put him in the infield or maybe even in the outfield as well. And the hit tool is really interesting. Yeah, and I, and I think he – I mean, I think he's – I do think he's a catcher. It's just whether you want to deploy him there because he's so athletic. You know, it, it would rob him of some of his athleticism. And it would also uh, – it would also – you know, take away from his bat, but he, he, he's super intriguing. Um, and I think he goes around that range. I actually had him going number 23 in my mock draft. So, so the White Sox would have their choice, Josh. He'd be very excited that Cusick and Harry Ford would both be on the board at 22 in my scenario. You know, high school right-handers tend to, you know, it's not a great demographic. I, I don't know if we talked about this last year, but when I, when I was doing some Drew Romo research, you can tell me if I've asked you this question before, but do you know the last catch, high school catcher taken in the first round who stayed behind the plate was a primary catcher and accumulated five wins above replacement in his big league career? Do you know who the last we, one was? 
I think we talked about this. It's Joe Maurer, right? It is Joe Maurer, and that's 2001. So that's 20 years ago. And yeah. he clearly, I mean, that was the number one overall pick, and he's kind of a unicorn. I mean, he's most of the athletic catcher I've ever seen, could have played quarterback Florida State. And so if you throw him out by saying, well, look, that guy went 1-1 and only one team had a chance to pick him, you have to go back to 1992 and Jason Kendall. So that part's wow. a little scary. But – the positive side is the guys who were high school first-round picks as catchers, there are several who've had good careers, and it's guys who are capable of profiling at another position, like your Jason Worths, your Derek Bartons, those types of guys. And that's what Ford is. I mean, Ford you know, has got legit plus speed. He ran a 6.42 second 60-yard dash at East Coast Pro last summer. Wow. Um, you could probably play him anywhere on the diamond. He's got solid arm strength. Um, I think he's got chance. You know, he's super agile, as you might expect, behind the plate. Like he could be a solid catcher. You know, he's gotten a positional comparison to Craig Biggio as a guy who could play catcher, second base, center field. And he's got you know a lot of bat speed too. Like like the swing gets a little bit much at times, where he, where he tries to swing for the fences. But like there's a lot of uh, you know offensive upside there too. So uh, he'd be he'd be interesting. I, he he intrigues me as well. Um, and I think he probably goes around the White Sox pick. It's just. But I mean, just to touch on Bachman for yeah. a second, he's a little harder to figure out because, like, I've had guys, I've had evaluators say, you know, on the 2080 scale, they've seen 80 fastball, 80 slider for him at his best, which is, <laughs> obviously, doesn't get any better than that. But the flip side of that is, you know, he missed a couple starts earlier in the year. It's kind of a, uh, a maxed out body, a little bit of a slingy delivery guy. You know, so guys love the stuff. They don't 100% love the way he generates it. So... I think he probably does go ahead of the White Sox, but I think there's also probably teams who, you know, I, I, I don't even love the term reliever risk because in, the, in today's baseball, I don't even know if that matters. You know, let's say there's reliever risk with Sam Bachman and he's not a six inning starter, but he's a three inning reliever. Well, th- that, that's super valuable come playoff mm-hmm. time. Like, so, um, I, you know, say I, I don't think Sam Bachman gets to the White Sox, but I also don't think it's, it's, it's totally out of the question um, either. So you, so you, you, you might have him to consider. I had Bachman going 15 to the Milwaukee Brewers and if the Brewers are in contention, which if they ever stay healthy or figure out a way to stay healthy, they could be, then yeah, I could see that scenario where they call up Bachman and have him pitch like Garrett Crochet did for the White Sox last year. Uh, during the postseason, and when it comes to the White Sox, as far as pick twenty-two on the on the philosophy thing, that's that's kind of where my head is at, Jim. Is that you know we're talking about as far as prep players that I would like the White Sox to go in that direction because I just think that the farm system could could use younger prep talent uh, as far as position player talent to go with some of the interesting prospects you mentioned earlier in Ramos and Bailey and Rodriguez, that if you take someone like Kerry Ford or Isaac Pacheco, uh, then you could sit on these prospects and you, you, you don't want to really trade them, but you can let them learn and develop in the minor leagues. And then by the time they're ready to join the major leagues, Hey, Yoan Makata's contract is about to run out. Uh, but I also see them taking who could throw the hardest right now as far as the college pitchers because we may need them for this season to get through the postseason uh, just as far as insurance if anybody gets hurt. And that's where, like, Ryan Cusick, yep, that makes a lot of sense. The dude could throw 100, and he could join the White Sox, and he can throw an inning or two in relief if somebody 
were to get hurt. So that's kind of where my head is at for the White Sox at pick 22. It's it's And with the draft being in mid-July, that also adds a lot of intrigue this season for many teams is that we're going to have a pretty good idea on where the White Sox uh, reside in as far as the American League Central and their postseason hopes. And you mentioned you never want to draft for need. But I do wonder if there's some teams in the first round, especially late in the first round, that will draft for need. And I feel like the White Sox could be one of those teams. Yeah, but it's interesting, too, because, you know, hey, look, every year we get asked, too, like, okay, who's going to be quickest to the big leagues? Who could go straight to the big leagues? And I almost wonder if Garrett Crochet has created unrealistic expectations about what you can expect a guy to be able to do coming out of the draft. And, and, you know, we got to remember with Crochet, too, he was coming off a pandemic layoff. I mean, he pitched three innings in college last year. You know, if you get Ryan Cusick or Sam Bachman or, or whoever, I mean, that guy's going to have pitched, you know, 80-plus innings, you know, in college and then had a, you know, a, like four or five-week layoff probably before the draft. I, I don't – I mean, I, I don't dis- – I'm not disagreeing with you. I, I could see teams doing that. Um, you know, I could see the White Sox saying, look, this worked with Crochet. We, we're contending. Let's go get Sam Bachman or Ryan Cusick, and, and that'll be another arm for the bullpen, and, and then we can – you know, turn him into a starter later. Um, but I, but I, I, I think what Garrett Crochet may have made it look a little easier than it really is. You know, most guys don't walk into the big leagues and throw six shutout innings. You know, the, the same year they, they were drafted. You know, and, and most guys don't right. have Garrett Crochet's stuff. Well, the last question I'll ask you, and this came from one of our Patreon supporters, as in Rec. And as Enrique is asking, when it comes to the draft, how loaded is the college senior class for this year's draft? And is there a glut of draftable talent from junior colleges? And I feel like this is a good question, Jim, because, again, with the uh, free year of eligibility, there are quite a few as far as players that did return to college and they are, you know, playing their fourth season, whether that's like a redshirt junior season or uh, they skipped the draft last year because there's only five rounds, and you know they're a senior this year. Uh, is there anyone that catches your eye as far as coming up with like the top 150 list that is a, a college senior uh, that could be drafted? Maybe not in the first round, but maybe the first three rounds. Uh, you know, I I think the anticipation was that that might be more it might be deeper than it was and i really haven't found that to be the case because most of the top players last year did get drafted you know we thought there might be you know high school guys who went to college who were crowded out because other guys came back and they'd wind up in junior college and we didn't really see that happen um you know i think the the two guys who jump out the most in terms of i guess what you call a covid junior or a fourth year junior would be tommy mace at florida who, you know, could have been a second-round pick last year, and he kind of priced himself out of that. And he might sneak into the first round. Um, I think more teams still kind of see him as more of a sandwich or second-rounder. But the guy who's probably made the biggest jump was a guy who was, I think, like around 199 or something on our 200 last year, our draft 200, is a lefty at Fordham named Matt Mikulski, um, who who could sneak into the first round and would probably go early second at the latest. He's a, he's a hard-throwing lefty who's made a nice jump this year in terms of of showing like the ability to, to sustain his stuff as a starter. Um, but, you know, it's not – I do think, like, you know, you have a bunch of guys last year, obviously, who did not sign around six through twenty, um, because there were no round six through twenty. And you know, I, so I think when we get to those rounds this year, they'll be a little bit deeper than usual. 
But at the top of the draft, it, it, it doesn't really affect it too much because most of the guy, most of the top guys in last year's draft signed. There, there, there weren't many Tommy Maces who were going to go in the top two rounds who, who wound up going back to college. You know, the, the, most of the best guys got drafted, got paid, and, and moved on. So you might have – I think that, that extra depth shows up more – like when you're going to get to around, you know, 8, 12, maybe even 15, they're like, hey, you know, because because you basically have a double class. You you have all the guys who didn't sign last year and came back, and then all the guys who would have factored in those rounds this year, you know, in a normal year anyway. Well, you could follow Jim on Twitter. He's at Jim Callis, MLB. And again, you can read as far as his mock draft on MLB.com slash pipeline. And we'll have Jim on again as we inch closer to the Major League Baseball draft once more information gets updated. But I feel like these are good conversations, especially with the minor league baseball season kicking off. You already have White Sox fans trying to draw up trade scenarios of who they could possibly move to try to help fill in the gaps with Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez's injuries, and then looking ahead to the Major League Baseball draft, which is still a couple months away, but it'll be catching up on everybody right at the same time as the trade talks really heat up where we do start seeing some trades. And uh, Jim, as always, I really appreciate you taking the time and joining our podcast and uh, chatting about the White Sox farm system and the upcoming Major League Baseball draft. Yeah, no, it, it, it's been it's always fun talking to you, Josh, and uh, and and you know I, I think you should be pretty thrilled right now. Good, good big league club, and and your draft targets might be there at, at pick twenty two, as far as we can tell right now. Well, that would be excellent because uh, I, I think uh, if they did go that route, as far as the prep players, I think that would add uh, a lot more interest to the, the White Sox farm system and keep us uh, watching as far as the minor leagues for the upcoming seasons. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Hey, you know, it'll be interesting. I mean, like I think whoever, I mean, we'll have to see who they get, but I mean, you could make an argument that theoretically whoever they take with that number one pick might be their top prospect when we update the system, you know, at the end of July. That will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. You can subscribe to the Sox Machine Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We also do video work, which you can subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash machine. If you enjoy our work and want to support us, visit patreon.com slash machine as we have several different tiers of support, starting at just $2 a month for exclusive content, ad-free podcasts, and the website. Also, our Patreon supporters, which I read some of their questions. Uh, during this episode with Jim Callis, they have an opportunity to submit questions to ask guests that we have on future podcasts, and only Patreon supporters are able to do that. So, again, if you enjoy our work and you want more from us and you want an ad-free podcast and website and first crack at our new Socks Machine swag items, visit patreon.com slash Machine and sign up today. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. 
But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash Boost by Tax Day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC.